Claire and Jerrell and Darla on the piano. Um, blessing to us. It's a blessing. Children's, uh, if you have not yet gone to uh, Children's Church because we haven't dismissed you, you can go now. Andrea had to sing in the choir. So our children, that's ages about three to eight, will be in the back. As Gerald always reminds you to remember to pick them up afterwards. Or they'll be sold at the yard sale, he proclaims. (laughs) Our passage is from Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. The message is titled, Reward versus retribution. Reward versus retribution. I'll begin reading from Luke chapter 12 and verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants? to give them their rations at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Well, I think most of us are saying Peter's got a pretty good question here. Uh, Being the spokesperson for the Twelve, he always seemed to ask what everybody else was thinking. And uh, the topic has been Christ's return. That is verses 35 through 40 that we looked at last week. And not only his return but his promise to reward those who are ready and waiting expectantly for his return. Uh, Let's just be honest for a moment as we've been studying this this gospel of Luke. Um, Jesus makes very high demands of his disciples. Back in Luke chapter 9, you'll remember, as Jesus had set his face like flint, to go to Jerusalem and endure the cross, to be rejected by sinful man, and to suffer, uh, he declared to everybody following him, Scripture records him saying this to all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it? Then later, told, uh, Jesus told a scribe uh, who wanted to follow him, he told that scribe that, that, that he had no material wealth to offer that man, to recompense that man, saying, Foxes have holes, birds have the air, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere 
to lay his head. Um, Jesus repeatedly indicates during his lifetime that he promises no material wealth to his disciples in this lifetime. What he actually promises us is suffering. And each of the twelve, after Matthias was brought in, of course, Judas was eliminated, but each of the twelve would endure suffering for his name. Paul as well. Um, And then not only does Jesus state, I can't promise you a place on the payroll, he also demands that we give our wealth away. Luke 12, verse 33, and, and trust our Father to provide everything that we need. Our Father in heaven will give us such things. And paying close attention to all of these, especially chapter 12 that we've been studying now for about a month, Jesus suggests concerning all of these things, if, if we pay attention to what he's teaching us, that we will be ready. When he returns, we will be ready. Uh, He demands even higher next week, as we will see, as he tells us we must also be willing, to be willing to suffer separation from even our own family uh, for his name. Um, Who would be willing to sacrifice all this? His disciples, his followers. And growth consultants, they're, they're constantly telling the church, constantly telling, advises churches uh, that we need to make it as easy and as comfortable as we can for, for people to come to Jesus. Just make it as comfortable and as easy. We surely have to have nice pastries and good coffee, um, comfortable seating, ample parking. Then you just have to constantly reassure visitors how much Jesus accepts them no matter what. How he approves of them just the way they are. Don't need to leave anything behind. Don't need to change your lifestyle. Uh, avoid the lust of the flesh, that's immorality. Or the lust of the eyes, which is materialism. Or change a sinful lifestyle. But folks, that, that, that's, that's not the Jesus as he is revealed in Scripture. It, it's truly not. Um, that, that is instead a false idol that is crafted in the minds of sinful men, a, a, a false idol whom they have named Jesus. They call him Jesus, but it is a false idol that does not reflect Jesus. This is why 1 John chapter 4 warns us, uh, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many false teachers. A false version of Christ is is not Christ. So any teaching that says we don't need to sacrifice our time, our talent, our treasure, that's error, folks. That is error. Any that asserts that Christians should never suffer or become sick, that is false religion. Any preaching that makes people comfortable in their sin, just so we can keep them coming back through the door Sunday after Sunday, is a false manifestation of religion. As churches have learned again again and again, Gerald and I talk about this quite often, the method in which you get people has to remain the method in which you keep them. 
If you are alluring them with all kinds of promises, you have to keep those promises up or they will leave. If you allure them with the truth of God's word, those who are truly Christian will continue to come to hear God's word. The sad reality is, folks, there are many false Christs. And Scripture indicates that many, sadly, many who consider themselves servants or slaves of Jesus are going to be punished for eternity. In fact, that's exactly what our passage will reveal today. Uh, Remember, in Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? They had, fought, they have, had done many astounding things in their mind for Jesus. And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Not I knew you and then you got lost. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The same chapter, that is Matthew chapter 7, warns us that the gate is wide and, and, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Hmm. Now, Jesus' words of many and few need to be understood as comparative. They need to, need to be received by us as a comparison. Many will call him Lord, Lord, yet comparatively few actually enter in through the narrow gate that leads to life. Folks, we can be confident there will be millions of Christians in heaven. Christians across denominational lines, across uh, national boundaries, and across ethnicities, all together celebrating in heaven. There will be millions, but there will be many more millions. Perhaps billions of people who thought themselves Christian, agonizing for eternity. It doesn't bring me any joy or pleasure, quite the opposite, honestly, to point out that Scripture indicates that the majority of those who would declare themselves followers of Christ are not. And let's just face it, probably the majority of us, I would fit into this group, we thought we were Christian long before we ever trusted in Jesus. I thought I was a Christian for many years. I was told I was a Christian since I was a small child. I did not know him. So to answer Peter's question, when Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well, meaning that entire large crowd that Jesus was preaching to, the answer is, folks, this is addressed to all of us. All of us, to every servant 
and every slave who considers Christ their master. Everyone who names Christ as their master. The whole parable pertains to people who identify themselves as Christ followers, as Christians. Um, Now, I don't, as as Christians, I, I don't believe any of us here would dispute that, that we realize every believer has a stewardship. We've been granted a stewardship. Uh, speaking to that topic of individual uh, spiritual giftedness, the Apostle Peter, uh, Peter writes this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Use your gift in serving one another, speaking to the church, as good stewards. So all spiritual giftedness is intended to serve or minister, we say, in some capacity to the body of Christ, to the church. Um, A person gifted in teaching, he serves the body of Christ. A person gifted in evangelism by bringing in uh, new converts serves the body of Christ. A person gifted in mercy serves the body of Christ visiting in the hospitals, etc., etc., all these gifted, um, giftednesses from the Lord. So each Christian, every Christian has a stewardship. We each have a stewardship. A, a, a steward is a person who is placed in charge, who is entrusted with the resources of another, the expenditures of another's estate. Uh, In this case, the estate belongs to God, all right? We are the stewards who manage resources for God. We have a stewardship. And this concept correlates just naturally with the preceding context of Luke chapter 12 that we've been studying, managing wealth, um, not worrying but trusting in God, not being greedy, not, not, uh, uh, not uh, filling barns beyond capacity, things we've talked about together, all in an overall preparedness for our Master's return. All of these instructions. But now the emphasis, it, it pivots from the material to that which is infinitely important, and that is people to the people of God, the the household of God. Uh, Each of us has a stewardship, resources, time, talent, treasure, for a purpose to serve the household of God, the company of God's people. So, So again, this parable pertains to every Christian, not just the apostles, not just church leaders, though it certainly includes apostles and church leaders. It doesn't exclude them, but it applies to every Christian. So when our our Lord Jesus responds to Peter in verse 42 by saying, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will, notice in the future, whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time. This is future. Who is he or she who will be entrusted with authority in heaven? Who will be put in charge of an eternal estate, an eternal stewardship in heaven? Who will be the manager of God's heavenly estate when we all 
join there in charge of distributing rations, resources in the future reign of Christ. Many commentators see this as the millennial kingdom, the reign of Christ on earth. Um, Who's going to receive that honor? Such a great honor. Well, verse 43 provides the answer. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds doing, finds so doing when he comes. Principle, very, very simple. I, I love this. The ones who will be rewarded with an eternal stewardship in heaven are those who have been faithful to their eternal or to their present stewardship on earth. Greater their faithfulness, greater their eternal reward. They're a good and sensible steward, a faithful steward. It matters not whether you have been been assigned five talents or two talents. They will hear, well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. You can find that in Matthew chapter 25. You've been faithful with a few things. Now you'll be in charge of many things. Enter into the joy. What a great promise. Again, if you are a Christian, God has given you uh, resources and a giftedness to serve his body, the church. As each one has received a special gift, employ it, Peter said, is serving one another. A Christian stewardship is for serving Christ's physical body on earth. What is his physical body on earth? That's us. We are the living body. Church isn't a building. It is a body of people. Listen to what Paul, the apostle, wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter, four, uh, chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects. That's good to know. We won't all get the same effect. But the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. For our common good. Paul then supplies a partial list of of types of spiritual giftedness, and then speaking of that giftedness says this, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he, meaning the Spirit, wills, For even as the body is one, yet has many members, and all the members of one body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. So each member of the body has been given a stewardship for for providing mutual edification, common care, concern for one another. In Matthew 25, at the separation of the sheep and the goats, Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Inherit the kingdom. Truly I say to you, says Jesus, to the extent that you cared for, to the extent that you nurtured to the extent that you visited the sick or those who had been imprisoned for the gospel to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine even to the least of these brothers of mine you did it to me i just love matthew 25 
to the extent you did it to these brothers of mine. Who are the brothers of Jesus? The church. To the extent you did it to these brothers of mine, you did it to me. And and as I've shared on, on previous occasions, that reward that we'll receive... It's related entirely to affection dispensed to the brethren, to the brothers and sisters, the redeemed members of the body of Christ. Um, That's why a truly regenerate Christian, a truly regenerate Christian is not content sitting at home and watching church from the recliner. That's a fact. A truly regenerated Christian is not content in that state. It is written, we know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. That's how we know. Because we love one another. First John 3.14 To love the brethren, to love one another, all of us messy folks, to be able to overcome offense and sin and still come together and love, that's divine, folks. Only God can love like that. Those who have offended God loves. We too love one another as he loved us. So our stewardship of ministry is to benefit his, his body, the brethren. You know, people think that they're going to be rewarded by God because they have this ministry, you know, demonstrating affection to, to petting animals at the zoo. No, folks. That's not the type of thing. That's greatly, uh, greatly deceived. And there are many people who do not express love to people because they don't love God. John writes, He laid his life down for us. We ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. And we love because he first loved us. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God who he hasn't seen? Right? First John chapter 4, if you're keeping track. So the person who wants to escape the ice, out to isolation at a mountaintop somewhere all by themselves so they can get closer to God. Boy, that person's completely deceived, folks. You don't get closer to God by isolating yourself. I don't care how high of a mountain you climb up. Correspondingly, the one who says, I love Jesus, but then refuses to assemble with the people of God or to fulfill his or her stewardship to the church of God, those whose souls Christ has spilled his blood for, that person's a liar. Mark 9, verse 41, the one who is the faithful, who is faithful to Christ's church, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your names as followers of Christ, even something as simple as giving a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, follower of Christ a cup of water, Jesus says, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. It's loving the brethren. And that describes a person remaining faithful with their stewardship. Very faithful. Um, what then is the outcome of faithful stewardship? Oh, look with me at Luke chapter 12, verse 44. It tells us. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, when he, meaning the master, when the master returns, 
the master will put him, the faithful and sensible steward, in charge of all of his possessions. That will be the reward. We will be judged according to how we treat his body. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. That's service. That's the epitome of service. That which we engage in outside of the church, that's a different text. We're talking in this passage about internally in the church, but that which we engage in outside for outreach, whether that would be a soup line, helping our neighbor change the brakes on his car, whatever it may be, that is categorically evangelism. That's trying to win people to Christ through those discussions and through those relationships. It's strategically proselytizing. Trying to capture people's hearts and imaginations for Christ. To bring newly redeemed Christians into the church. So they then can be discipled like the rest of us. Um, This is one reason, reason that preaching inside the church looks categorically different than our preaching outside the church. Quite different. Inside the church, we teach and preach scriptural principles for the equipping of the saints for the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ. You follow me? Pastors and teachers are given for the equipping of the saints, that is the redeemed, those who are already Christians. For the works of service, that's what we are recreated for. We're equipped so that we who are already Christians will become more effective in serving Christ inside the church, in our homes. We, we learn to properly manage our stewardship. We learn. We're discipled inside church. Outside our walls, we, we concentrate more principally on evangelism, sharing the gospel with the unredeemed. We tell them that that Christ died for their sins, that, that the sinless Christ died for ours and then rose from the dead. He died and then he arose. He died so that your sins can be forgiven. That is our message. The good news is for anyone here today that you can be reconciled to a holy and a just God by trusting in Christ. That's the gospel message. The gospel remains our primary message out there because, folks, let's just face it, it is futile to try to disciple unbelievers. Futile. Impossible to make disciples of unbelievers. They must know Christ first. There's a big difference between what goes on in here in Pastor Weiler's study at 9.15, equipping the saints to become stronger saints and to have victory in this life with what we do when we go out into the community to try to win people to Christ. That's why, really, folks, it's genuinely tragic for a local church to spend the majority of their preaching time each week trying to get the same Christians saved over and over again week after week. 
You know, Billy Graham, he was an awesome evangelist. You, you go back and, and look at his videos in, in those crusades, and the gospel is so crystal clear as he called people to repent of their sins and trust in Christ. But weekly church shouldn't look like a Billy Graham crusade. It's time to move on from milk to some meat and learn how to be good stewards of Jesus Christ. Church is fashioned for Christians. We worship as Christians because we know Christ. It's impossible for an unbeliever to worship Christ. And Christ is not only glorified through people being saved, folks. He is not. Christ is equally, or I would even suggest, more greatly glorified through a servant who has committed their lives to Him. Being saved can be a moment in time. You've got your whole life to serve Christ. He can be so greatly, greatly glorified through us properly paying attention and using our stewardship. Good stewards of the body of Christ. Sometimes we, we forget, you know, that we're saved for a purpose. We're saved to serve. To serve Christ and His body. This is why the Apostle John records Jesus speaking in the last chapter of Revelation. Saying, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To render to each man according to what he has done. That's the reward. And the Apostle Paul articulates this same principle in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 8 in reference to building the church. Each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Christ has given each of us a stewardship. And he's not only glorified through your salvation. Christ is glorified through your service. To he or she who is faithful and sensible steward, our passage in verse 44, may I remind you again, truly I say to you that when that master returns, he will put him or her in charge of all of his possessions. You know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that Pastor Weiler and myself were at a pastor's conference where Erwin Lutzer was there and speaking. And uh, he emphasized strongly Great teacher, great preacher. He emphasized strongly, God doesn't see us as big churches or little churches. He sees us as those who are faithful or those who are unfaithful. The principle rings true in this passage. There is the faithful steward in verses 42 through 44. And the balance describes the unfaithful steward in verses 45 to 48. Let's take a look at him, and then we'll go home. The unfaithful steward. Rather than acting as a servant, this person acts severe. He's not watching expectantly for a savior to return or his master's return. In fact, in verse 45, it says, that slave says in his heart, Oh, my master, he'll be in a long time coming. This man does not heed, nor does he hear Christ's command in verse 40 to be ready. 
Not concerned about being ready. Obviously then, he doesn't respect his master. Doesn't respect the word of his master. Therefore, he doesn't respect the master's household. Instead, we read that he, well, he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. Rather than being a servant and a a steward among Christ's household or the master's household, this person abuses the Lord's household. Um, For a long time, commentators um, were suspicious that this applied primarily to false teachers, primarily to abusive pastors in the church. And it definitely applies to church leaders. It does. Um, But notice nowhere in the passage does it suggest this slave was ever put in charge of the master's household. It doesn't say that. Nor does it declare him a sensible steward. No, he he is merely one slave beating the other slaves. While he himself remains carnal, he's eating and drinking and becoming drunk, uh, therefore... um, He is carnal. Uh, Compared to the lesson we observed last week, this slave, he's not girded for readiness. He's not girded for readiness. Um, He's ungirded. He's relaxing. He's on a recliner. Remember we were talking last week to be ungirded was, was to be at home, to be relaxed. This guy is relaxed. He doesn't find his joy in serving the saints. He finds it in materialism and sin. He or she enjoys the world, but not the company of God's elect. Um, This could, in fact, describe any slave, any slave that calls him master or Lord, Lord. Could be any. But his heart doesn't belong to the master. He he only professes him as his Lord. In fact, all three slaves in verses 45 to 48 signify unbelievers. They're unbelievers. They, They are tares that are sown amongst the wheat... You know, in the parable of the tares, that's in Matthew chapter 13, the Lord Jesus reveals that, that the enemy has sown tares. But not wanting to uproot the entire field, the farmer decides to allow both to grow together until the harvest. Until the harvest. And then at the time of the harvest, the farmer says to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. That's the separation. And there's out, there have always been many tares in the church. That's nothing new. Always been many tares. Um, some of them become abusive. Some become abusive. They, they beat the slaves. They beat the slaves. In verse 45, we receive just graphic language for emphasis. The parable doesn't demand abuse always manifests itself as physical. It really could represent any type of maltreatment of the Lord's people. And it could originate from any slave. Anyone who calls himself slave. And it could be a church leader, either verbally or in some other way belittling others. It could be a pastor who physically abuses those other slaves. Enough of that in the news. It could include any member doing a whole bunch of things. Abuse of the household servants can include all kinds of things. Gossiping, slander, and anger, and an attempt to discourage and sow division. Of course, they're sown by the enemy. 
The tares are of the enemy. They're his, they're his vessels. And surely, if you were to ask, they would identify themselves as Christians. If you asked. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. But the abuse reveals they're not God's stewards. They aren't watching, nor are they ready for Christ's return. So verse 46 says this, The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he does not know. Hmm. The master will come on a day unexpected that no one knows. Who are we talking about? Yeah, Jesus. What were we just studying last week back in verse, verse uh, verses 35 to 40? His promise to return, right? The day of Christ's return will come like a thief is what we learned last week. A thief. It'll come out of nowhere. Um, so, the master will come on a day no one knows. And, and in verse 46, we are told that when the master returns, that this, this unrighteous slave will be cut to pieces. He will be assigned a place with the unbelievers. Folks, don't, don't be confused into... Um, into thinking that this was a believer who lost their salvation. No, this is a parable. It's a, it's a vivid, a colorful, earthly story that, that describes for us a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, verse 1 and the whole chapter. The parable teaches that there are people among Christ's church who do not believe, nor do they belong to him. They, they call him master. They even call out, Lord, Lord. And they themselves would claim they belong to their master's household. So Christ describes himself as that master returning. The master will return. But they were never believers. For scripture is abundantly clear that Christians cannot lose salvation. Instead, the master returns to assign that person their, their rightful place says they will be completely cut off from God's people and they will be assigned their proper abode, which is with the unbelievers. They'll be reassigned to where they're supposed to be. Just as our scripture reading from Numbers chapter 15, verse 30 earlier described, the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is a native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord. Notice, he doesn't heed the word of the Lord. He's despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off and his guilt will be on him. That's the high-handed sinner. Um, it describes someone knowing better yet just acts defiantly. He or she knows God's will and yet beats the flock. Um, they will be cut off from the rest. The Greek term most of your Bibles translates cut him uh, in pieces is degatomeo. It means actually to bisect in half. To bisect in two. It means to separate one part from another. They will be separated from us. If you prefer the phrase cut in pieces, that's good as well. It's another good interpretation. It verifies that person will be separated and they will receive the strongest or sternest of retributions. 
the worst case scenario, because they knew God's will. And they called him master, and yet they decided to sin high-handedly by maltreating Christ's beloved elect. Um, there's a second tier of retribution imposed in verse, chapter, uh, verse 47. That is the slave who knew his master's will and, and did not get ready or act in accord with his will. Uh, he'll receive many lashes. Won't be cut to pieces. He'll receive many lashes. This, this is the Bible church member who, who, who just sat there. Lots of knowledge about the Bible. Had the Bible taught repeatedly. Knows what the Bible demanded. Didn't beat the slaves. Didn't cause a lot of trouble. But failed to embrace their stewardship to serve. Just to serve God's household. This also includes the armchair Christian who just who claims to be very serious about their faith. So serious there's no church good enough. Ever run into that? Man, all the time. No, no good. No, I've been to them all. None are good. You know, I'd, I'd travel three counties if I could just find a decent church. No. They won't be cut to pieces. They'll merely receive many lashes, a slightly lower scale of punishment. Then, then in verse 48... We, we have probably the attendee of the social church. They thought themselves a Christian, but they never learned God's will. Why? Well, because the Bible was never actually taught in that church. Uh, it's, it's a superficial Christian. Could, could mean all kinds of things. Maybe they just like a good show. There's no way to know for sure. It could also describe the liberal church that takes no stand on the Bible at all, so they don't teach it. Jesus says to them, the one who did not know God's will, the one who didn't know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging, they will receive few. For when it comes to information gained about Jesus, information that people learn about Jesus, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much, of him, they will ask all the more. There is a high level of accountability for what we know about Christ and about God's word. For what we have been shown and told in scriptural revelation about Christ and his church. A high level of accountability. Did all four categories if you include the faithful and sensible steward? Did, did all four categories believe themselves to be Christian? Yeah. But only one was the real deal. It was he or she who was faithful with what God had entrusted them with. And it doesn't matter whether they had five talents or whether they have two. They simply were faithful to what God gave them and to those the master says you were faithful with a few things I will put you in charge of many things enter into the joy of your master and that can be a great day it's going to be a great day a few things to note as we close first out of the four categories of slave in the master's household only one is the real deal that's interestingly, by the way, the same ratio as the parable of the soils. I wouldn't read too much into that. Many will say, though, Lord, Lord, 
but only a few are going to enter the kingdom comparatively. Most who identify themselves as Christian will be lost. Most. Secondly, does this teach there will be different, different levels of suffering in the same hell? Yeah. Yes. People will be punished according to what they know and according to what they do. And God's punishment for each individual will be perfectly just. Perfectly just. God is a righteous judge. All retribution will be perfectly assigned its rightful place. This includes the, the name-only Christian who's never been taught. It includes you know, the jungle native even who had never been taught. Because in their hearts, they, they all know that there's a God and that they're accountable to Him, yet they refuse to honor Him. A lack of knowledge does not, does not let anyone off the hook. Go to Romans chapter 1 for that. Um, people refuse to honor Him. But there will surely be different levels of punishment. But whether cast into hell, cut into pieces, or whether just having many lashes, it's still going to be hell. It's going to be a place of endless weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, there really is, it, it is very possible that there really is a special place in hell for people like Hitler. Really possible. But we don't have to be so concerned about people's punishment because God's going to handle that. We don't need to be concerned about that. The master's responsibility is to assign that when he returns. Our responsibility is to proclaim forgiveness of sins and the love of Christ shown through the cross. Our our responsibility is to proclaim forgiveness to everyone, to everybody. That's what we do. There's forgiveness to be extended to the addict. There's forgiveness available to the abortion doctor. There's forgiveness available to to the person who is in an adulterous relationship. There's forgiveness to the person who is greedy. There's forgiveness to swindlers and drunkards, folks. There's forgiveness for everybody. For everybody. How do we know? Because such were some of us. But we were washed, and we were sanctified, and we were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and in the Spirit of His God. Forgiveness is available to everyone, and as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, we proclaim that regardless of your past, there's nothing that cannot be forgiven. Salvation is available today. Third, and finally, for genuine Christians... Our present, our present stewardship, folks, it's eternally valuable. Everything that we've been given today, relationships, money, giftedness, abilities, the change that He has even wrought in our lives, He gives us to use through His Spirit, spiritual giftedness of all types. He has given us, and it has an eternal value that everyone can reap rewards from. Everybody. Everybody. The time, the talent, the treasure that he has entrusted to us, 
for serving his church and for the advancement of his kingdom. He has given it to us. And all he says is, use it. Use it and I'm going to reward you when I come. What a wonderful God. Thus yours and my eternal rewards will be directly reflective of the service that we give him today. Our reward in heaven will be directly reflective of the service that we render him today. Do you want to know what you're going to be entrusted with in heaven? Take a look around and see what your stewardship looks like on earth. But don't waste your talents, folks. Don't waste your talents on meaningless endeavors that do not yield a return for Christ. Be ready when he comes for whatever you do in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. And yes, Jesus would respond to Peter. Yeah, this warning applies to everyone. Let's pray. Father, to think of the riches, the surpassing knowledge of the riches that you have poured out on us through Christ Jesus. And your, your Holy Spirit that has specially gifted each of us in so many unique ways, Lord. Those who can serve, those who can lead, those who can can do all kinds of things, Lord. I wish we had ministry month going on right now. Just to show people uh, all the wonderful things we can do for Christ. Those who have the gift of evangelism, Lord, we pray that your spirit prompts us, convicts us to use everything that you've given us for your glory, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful life that we share together, this church that you've put us into, Lord. Um, as we love you, just as we love one another, Lord. Bless our, bless our congregation. Help us to be faithful and sensible with our stewardships, each and every one of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.